Thanks for listening to Hollytown Podcasts. We're back with Michael. In this clip, we're going to talk about the development of emotions, like anger, and developing the experience of love and sexual attraction. Remember to head over to www.hollytown.com and get your workbooks so that you can take a look at your own development once you're finished listening to this. Tell me about your feelings before you began your work with me because you keep mentioning how that's really important to you that you didn't feel the same yeah so like i said before i didn't i did i remember the i remember what i felt felt i didn't necessarily know what it was but when i looked back at it from the beginning like there was just a bunch of confusion about my presence in a sense like how I did, I kind of felt disconnected from my family in a way because I felt like no one understood me. And okay. like I said, we were taught to not express our emotions. Because, I mean, I guess it was looked at up, up as a bit feminine to most, especially most of my male head household leaders. Okay. So <clears throat> they, they would kind of shrug it off and laugh and be like, well, not even laugh, but they would just not care. So it started off with a, with a lot of confusion about just my presence within my household. Okay. And then as I got older, <clears throat> around my like preteen years, like this is not even like 10, starting around 10, it was just like this burst of anger and hatred towards just random people that would just come and go. I, I, never, I, ne I wasn't necessarily the, the most pleasant person to be around, even at that age. Mm -hmm. And from there, it just got even worse. To it, it got worse in a sense. It grew to hatred towards myself, and that's when the multiple suicide attempts. That's when not even the attempts at that at that stage. It was just more of me feeling that way and voicing my opinion to my my not my parents or my friends or my cousins who would just be like boy and laugh but it was like that those are serious that, that was serious mm -hmm. <laughs> I was trying I was it was a reach out for support and I didn't necessarily get it and that's when it grew to the attempts without telling anyone which <laughs> which right. is when everyone got scared and like my that's when my teachers got involved and I that's how when old I, were you there that was 13, 14, wow. mm -hmm. and it, it, it only got worse from there, mm -hmm. and uh, at 16 is when I actually started seeing my first outpatient, outpatient therapist, and I was, it was forced, of course, because... Who forced it? Basically, it was my, dent my old dental assisting teacher. She, oh. yeah, she was the person who was the first to mm -hmm. show me that support that I reached out for and she was able right. to guide my parent on the the smartest moves from that okay. point and that was that was most definitely necessary because like I said we were not taught to right. show and be able to recognize these emotions and feelings because how was your um your experience in the therapy sessions there it was group which was very, oh. it was a group, there were a bunch of group sessions and then there was one-on-ones. So, 
the group was most definitely it wasn't my style at first. It was okay. I was rejecting it at first, mm -hmm. and it, but it took for me to sit in there was around people my age and different backgrounds, similar stories in a way, but not necessarily or not really. Not the same. But yeah, same. yeah, but they felt the same emotions I felt. I didn't know that, but that's what was that attraction to each other. I grew some actually good friendships out of that. And I, that's where I started to become more open about my feelings mm -hmm. and how I acted alone. <laughs> mm -hmm. When I was alone, when no one else was there, yeah. that's when I started to be like to be more mindful of it. So it's funny because you said that I said that I asked the class, "How do you act when you're alone?" And yeah. it struck and you. It, so what was it about it that really struck you? Uh, it, honestly, <laughs> even it was it was more so your tone, but okay. it the, your tone <laughs> with the question it gave mm -hmm. that curious. Like mystery movie suspense that okay. was like dun dun dun, <laughs> and it was it it made me. That was the first time I actually started to critically think on those little flashbacks that I were ha that I constantly have even still to today about any traumatic event that I've been through in the past. Like the it will make me start to contemplate on uh, actual emotions I felt in that mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. And it'll ultimately lead me to finding the source of the of my anxiety at that moment, which oh, I can do good. now, uh -huh. <laughs> but I couldn't do back then. So, which is why I told you that I would that hatred that I felt was projected onto people that weren't even involved. Right. But it's because That's I couldn't crazy. recognize it. Mm -hmm. So I, it's human nature for us to make sense of our problems, mm -hmm. and. I would slap it on the easiest thing, <laughs> on, it, on the easiest thing, because I was confused. I was just a kid. I didn't know how to handle those emotions because I wasn't taught to. Well, and it's so interesting because I got into a kick many, many years ago where I started to study serial killers. Yeah. And one of the things that I started to notice that really struck me was a lot of these male serial killers seem to have issues with their mothers primarily. Mm -hmm. And that it almost seemed like they wanted to have the freedom to stand up to their mothers mm -hmm. and to, to just acknowledge that they hated their mothers, but they couldn't. <clears throat> and this is my interpretation, but this is what I've seen. And I started to wonder about this. And you, you see how the women that they would start to kill had a pattern. They, they had patterns with that. They had like a, a look that they were attracted to. They had a certain type of person, etc. I remember the one serial killer, I can't remember his name, um, but it was such a shocking story because at the very end, the police came to got him, came to get him, and he was sitting at his, his table eating breakfast or something, I think they said in the documentary I was watching, with his mother's head sitting on the table. So it represented to me, like everybody's going, whoa, what the heck's wrong with this guy? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, She's finally quiet and attentive to him, and he can sit there and eat his breakfast, and I thought, oh my God. So when I started to look at attachment theory, because in one of my recent developmental psychology classes, people started really wanting to know more about attachment theory in the activities I was holding after class. We'd have some of these really interesting 
discussions and the students would stay after for it. And they're like, Ms. W, we want to look at attachment theory. So I'm like, okay. I didn't have the understanding and the value for it that I have now after all of this time looking at it. But I think for you, if you look back to those early feeling sets, you can kind of um, appreciate where I've gone over this past year or so with my own studies on attachment theory. You have classical conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. You have that unconditioned stimulus, unconditioned response. I'm working on a model right now to explain in more depth how the concept that's wrapped into attachment theory really founds at the unconditioned stimulus, unconditioned response level our eventual understanding or experience is a better word than understanding, our eventual experience of what love is. What do you think about that? I feel like it's really interesting because at a certain point in my life, I could honestly say I didn't know what love was. Well, you had a concept. Of what I thought it was. Well, and, and this is where, because we were talking about in your teen years, about your experiences mm -hmm. in terms of who you started to connect with sexually, etc. Yeah. And I, that kind of, it was really interesting to me because I started to immediately make connections mm -hmm. between the attachment. And you mentioned just recently that you started to evaluate this for yourself. Did you want to talk about yeah, that so in particular? Another stage, another stepping stone that I went through through my teen years is after every, everything was said and done with the past Trump traumatic experiences, I started... The abuses. Yeah, basically. <clears throat> I didn't have that person there to crave that attachment. So the abuser. You, yeah, you had actually said, just to be clear, um, and jump in if I'm incorrect mm -hmm. here, but to recap what you've said to me before, you said that you initially were abused at a very young age. Yes. The abuse occurred over a lengthy period of time, and that eventually you started to enjoy the feeling of the sexual act. Yes. And so when you looked at classical conditioning, the unconditioned stimulus, unconditioned response was there embedded in the mm -hmm. act itself. Yes. And you started to become conditioned to prefer men to provide that experience for yes. you. So um, in that, when your abuser was removed from the situation eventually, mm -hmm. that left that open space for you to have a need that wasn't being filled. Yes. Right? And for me, that's even hard to understand or, or even grasp. And I know when you first told me some of the details of that, I had to stop you yeah. because I just couldn't take, I couldn't take it. I felt almost like I was going through a little bit of it and it was too hard. And, and I'm like, I can't imagine having to live through that for God's sake. But your experience is so interesting to me because you actually said that over time you ended up wanting the experience of the sexual act with the abuser, and that was even hard for me to hear. Mm -hmm. 
really hard for me yeah, to hear. Yeah, I mean, I did because at that it started happening at such a young age. It, right. That was all I knew right. at, at at a certain point, and when I didn't have have it going on on its own, I had to go find it somewhere else. And then but it's interesting. Let me break in here just for a minute because I want to be clear that you said it also produced an extreme amount of anger yes. in you. So it's not like you just anger and confusion. Yeah. Yeah. Because it wasn't like you just enjoyed it and wanted it. So I don't want anybody out there to think that you enjoyed the abuse as though it was an actual relationship sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. You didn't want it, and you were forced into it, but that eventually you said you started to crave it in some way, but that created that anger and confusion in you as well because it was forced, mm -hmm. right? Is that accurate? Yeah, and then I was way too ahead of my time. And what do you mean? The, the confusion came from all of the, the environmental stimulus, if you would, because I would be surrounded by my friends and we didn't have the same interests. So I was confused. I, was, I would go to school every day and I would be doing one thing in my personal life and everyone else is doing others. And then I w was confused because my life wasn't going, like I wasn't, I didn't have a, a teenager's life. I didn't have a, te a teenager's life. Mm -hmm. And I was angry because I didn't know what I was angry at. So... Right, I mean, you don't, because you've experienced something as quote-unquote normal, there's no real way for you to connect cognitively and say, this is why I'm angry because nobody's really even told you. I've had other people tell me um, that one, one story in particular stands out in mind where this person was abused, and he said he really didn't even know that it was abuse, but he suspected something wasn't right. He was very, very young. And the reason he suspected that was because the person stopped talking. Everything got quiet. And the feeling was more weird. So nobody even told him about abuse. Nobody explained to him what it was. Nobody, nobody warned him. He was a foster child. And so when he experienced it, the only way that he knew anything was out of the ordinary was by the shift in the person's attitude mm -hmm. and the change in some of their behaviors. So that was interesting to me as well because, you know, in terms of parenting, parents do set up some of these standards for their children, whether they realize it or not, and also in terms of how young a person is when they're abused that can create some really different experiences for those children than if someone is abused later on and already had like a stable environment and goes back to a stable environment, right? So I think this is where you get some of those personal differences that people say, oh, why is this person this way or this person this way? Or even two people in the same family, you can have different experiences within the family unit, mm -hmm. right? So each individual is so unique, it's important to evaluate with your particular factors as best as possible to get to those details. But um, it's interesting to me that you wanted so rapidly 
as soon as you met me to make some of these changes. Like you were really with it. And then he kind of slid back, and I know you had some of those personal things that happened in the meantime, but then, boom, you came right back, and you haven't stopped since. And you're even evaluating on your own, messaging me, oh, this is what happened, right? What do you think about this? So I love that you're doing that. Because I know you said when, um, when we were talking that you went backwards, and you were able to remember early earlier abuses that you had forgotten before. Yeah. So With other walk people us through. that I didn't necessarily even view as an abuser. Right, right. But once you look back and start and then you stop ex excusing people's behavior, it's it's a whole different perception. Mm -hmm. And you're like just cuz you have a smile on your face doesn't make it doesn't make you I mean just cuz you stab someone with a smile on your face doesn't make you not a murderer, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. We set people up to be victims, and I think that is where some of the anger comes in as well. When somebody who's stronger on some level and wants more for themselves, for whatever reason, kind of just says, the hell just happened? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you want the anger, I mean the revenge, or you want to right the wrong, but you're either still too little or, <laughs> you know, you have all of this stuff going on. And there's anger there that you just have no outlet for. So you find your outlet. But sometimes if it's, you know, like I've said before too, if it's at the mother, sometimes you won't even admit that to yourself.